On today's show, what are the biggest concerns, the biggest questions, and the most underrated storylines concerning this Houston Rockets team? We're going to get into all that and so much more on today's Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. Throw it up to Jalen Green. Goon here in the short row. Oh, Mike, that's the no look. Jabari for three and the win. Yeah! Look at Tarisen. Here comes Tarisen. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. The Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. One thing I have never done is not made the playoffs, and so we want to take that step here as well. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin. The show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including... YouTube. Now, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash on to get started. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked On Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for being an everyday or making the show part of your day every single day. Joining us now is none other than the podfather himself, Rockets Wire editor and host of the Logger Line podcast, Ben DuBose. You can track down on Twitter at Ben DuBose. Ben, here in the midst of NBA All-Star break, this is it, it's not fun having no basketball to talk about for this week off. I know, I know the players need it. I know they need like a break in the middle of the season, but I hate this time of year because there's no basketball to talk about. I'm just itching to have the games back way I am but in this particular season I'm actually sort of relieved when you look at how they stumbled into the break with obviously five losses in their last six games and really things have been a little bit off the rails for the last month or so I think we all needed a mental health break when it comes to the Houston Rockets in particular yeah so maybe not the worst thing in the world even though again the 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 gremlin in me just wants to have Rockets basketball back um what we're going to be doing on today's show though uh, there was an interesting prompt brought up by uh, Steve Jones Jr. So if you're not familiar with his work, uh, he's one of the uh, one half of the amazing duo over there at the Dunker Spot Pod. Him and Nikias Duncan. So definitely be sure to check out their work. Does a ton of film breakdowns on on social media, all that stuff. Steve is awesome, and he presented this series of questions, kind of a, a check-in on your, your team, as it were. And so that's what we're going to do on today's show. And the questions were as follows. What's your biggest concern for your team? What's your biggest question you have for your team? And what's the most underrated thing about your team? So Ben and I are going to tackle that here on today's show. Biggest concern. Well, if I can stop knocking stuff over next to my next to my desk. Biggest concern, biggest question, and most underrated thing about this Houston Rockets team. Now, Ben and I have not compared notes coming into this episode, so we might overlap. And I always think that's fun, you know, to see kind of where your head's at, where my head's at. Um... So I'll let you start us off, Ben. Biggest concern about this Houston Rockets team. Go for it. 
for me, it's can they develop a top perimeter scorer or playmaker internally? That's what's hanging over this franchise. We've seen Alperin Shingun take the leap this season. He's been excellent, but it's so tough to build a contender just around a playmaking big man. You look at Joel Embiid in Philadelphia. He's got Tyrese Maxey, and last season he had both Tyrese Maxey and James Harden. You look at Nikola Jokic in Denver. He's got Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. In today's NBA, you need at least one guy on the perimeter that you can trust to consistently either create his own shot or and or create for teammates. And with the Rockets, you've talked about it a lot. It has been an underwhelming year for Jalen Green. I'm not out on him. It's not time to sell all of your stock, in my opinion. But look, this is year three. It's not just about the pre-draft hype anymore. At some point, you have to look not just at your opinion of him on paper, but also the results. And if anyone had told you that Jalen Green's numbers at the All-Star break would be what they are, if someone had mentioned that in early October, we would have all been underwhelmed. The efficiency just is not there. The issues with consistency that we've talked about in year one and year two, they're still there in year three. There's highs. We know the untradeable tour less than a month ago. It was very encouraging, but the lows are still there as well. So when you're going towards the back half of year three and year four, where there's an inflection point with regards to his contract status as well, it can't just to be about your it can't just be about your opinions of his talent. It also has to incorporate the results. And at this point, the results have been a mixed bag. So Jalen hasn't taken the leap this year that a lot of us wanted. It's not that you need to necessarily make a final decision, a final judgment on him now. But the bottom line, it's a question as to whether he's going to become that guy. And then you look at the other alternatives, Amen Thompson, Cam Whitmore. They've been good for the last two to four weeks, but they're rookies. The question is consistency. You can look back to when Jalen was a rookie, really about this time two years ago from the All-Star break onward. Jalen was very good. That's why he was on the all-rookie first team. He finished his rookie year with that 30-plus points per game scoring binge in his last five, six games, whatever it was, including the 40-plus game in the finale. And we all thought, in that ensuing offseason that Jalen was on the paths to stardom. And to this point, it has not happened. So while I'm excited about what Amen and Cam have done, and I like their talent, at the same time, you look at the uneven trajectory of Jalen Green, and you sort of have to keep that in the back of your mind when you're evaluating Amen and Cam, and that even though there are flashes, until they do it on a consistent basis, it's going to be a question for this franchise. And I just think at a macro level rather than micro, you go back to last offseason when the Rockets splurged with all of their free agency cap space. They did it for high floor veterans, guys like Fred Van Fleet, Dylan Brooks. They wanted Brooke Lopez, had to settle for Jeff Green. They went down that path rather than pursuing a James Harden or a Kyrie Irving in large part because the Rockets wanted to give opportunities to their internal guys like Jalen, like Amen, like Cam to turn into that top perimeter playmaker or scorer. To this point, it has not happened consistently. Now, if it doesn't happen internally, it's not the end of the world. The Rockets do have other avenues. Ime Udoka is liked by players around the league. They could swing a big trade down the line. They're stockpile of future draft assets. It's not great, but it's not terrible either. So they would be in play for a trade to get that guy externally. But the reality is, look, the Rockets already made a substantial bet with regards to how they awarded those contracts last summer saying, look, we don't think we necessarily have to go outside of the organization to get that guy. We can get high floor veterans and hope to have one of these young guys develop. And while 
there's still a case for any of those three perimeter guys. Perhaps you can throw Charlie Eason in the mix as well. Ime has referred to him as a young Kawhi Leonard. The reality is until one of those guys, Jalen, Amin, Cam, maybe Tari as well, consistently does it and stays on the floor, it's going to be a question as to whether the Rockets can internally develop that guy. And that's sort of the bet that Rafael Stone made when he doled out those contracts last offseason. You know, in a way, I, I know that the way that I teed this up was we were starting with the the concern portion of the question, but I feel like the way that you kind of answered it, you just turned it into a big, like, it's all just kind of a big, you know, biggest concern and biggest question are kind of the same answer is the right. problem that I realized. Like, as I was doing this exercise, I was like, this is really fun. And then I was like, wait, these are kind of the same thing. Um, because at, what I'll actually do here is what I had listed as my biggest question for this team was actually very similar to your line of thinking here. So uh. I'm just going to 86 my concern for a second and get to my biggest question, which is, do the Rockets have a, a superstar talent somewhere in the core six? I think that is a ginormous question that we don't have the answer to yet. And as you kind of already alluded to, right, do they have a upper echelon, like wing score, wing, wing partner to pair with Alper and Shingun, which was the first part of, of your answer. And, and I completely agree here in that the Rockets, I feel like, are, are positioning themselves for potentially star chasing down the line with all the expiring contracts, the assets, all of that. And I think that that can be a way to like a means to an end, right? To, to pursue the next disgruntled asset, whatever distressed asset that wants out of a bad situation. Cool. We've talked about that largely probably being the end goal with those Brooklyn picks for a long time. Anyways, is figuring out who you want to trade for and which star player you want to go, I guess, quote unquote, all in on um, as far as who compliments the young core the most, whatever. But I think you suddenly it frees you up a lot more for subsequent moves to really build an all around contender, um, something that has long term sustainability. If you don't have to, I guess, go go get your own star player from somewhere else. Right. If you're able to grow that star internally, then that's a huge benefit because you're going to be you're going to have that player on a cost controlled team friendly deal for a long time. You're going to be able to figure out the pieces that mix and match around that player. And I just don't know right now at this point with. LP and Jalen in year three with Jabari and Tari in year two and Amin and Cam is just rookies. We just don't have enough data yet to know whether or not one of these guys is still has that upper echelon like superstar potential. We see the flashes. We've seen flashes from all of them. And that's the part is is balancing the patience with the evaluation process and trying to know when it's time to, I guess, you know, cash out on, on these guys. Well um, which is why, you know, Jalen's future is, is such a big question mark at this point, because are we approaching the period where you should be ready to cash out or do you keep, do you hold on? Do you give him through uh, all the way through year three, which it looks like they are obviously because they didn't deal him at the, at the deadline. Do you give him all the way through year four, right? How much runway do you give these guys? Right. And that's why I framed it as a concern, because at least with one of those internal options for the, the wing role, you're at a point now where it can't just be about blind optimism. It can't just be about sort of dismissing any concern and saying, well, he's young. He's going to work his way out of that. No, by the time you get to the end of year three and nearly year four, it has to be not just about your view of the guy pre-draft and his theoretical talent base, but it also has to be about the on-court results. And so now that we're in year three for Jalen Green, really the last third of year three, and there still has not been that consistent leap the way there has been for Alper and Shingun. I'm not say, saying that the whole thing is a concern, but you're getting to a point with at least one of your internal candidates to where it's not just about a question. You, at some point, 
relatively soon, you do have to be concerned if you don't see that leap. And if it's not Jalen, then, you know, it's not the end of the world. There are other options. And Ben Thompson, Cam Whitmore, maybe Tari Eason as well. But it's just you're getting to a point now where you actually do need to see some of those guys take the leap if they're going to be able to do that internally. There's a reason you wanted so many bites at the apple, because if you miss on a couple of the bites, then you've still got the other ones that may or may not uh, ultimately pan out a tons of, you know, that's Rocket's got a bunch of swings at it. Hopefully one of them turns into uh, a legit superstar. But coming up, we're going to keep navigating this prompt, um, even though it may, may have gone a little wonky there in segment one. Uh, biggest question for this Rocket team, and I'll get to my biggest concern, I guess. I don't know. We'll tackle this next bit mm-hmm. coming up here in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel America's number one sportsbook because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That means all you have to do is wager 5 bucks and you have the chance to win $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and so much more. Right now, you can take a look at the odds favorites to win the NBA title this season. The Boston Celtics clear favorites right now at plus 230. Behind them, the Denver Nuggets at plus 440 to repeat. The LA Clippers plus 500. The Bucks at 650. And then the Phoenix Suns distant in fifth place at plus 1400 to win it all this season. So to get in on the action, just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Today's episode is also brought to you by LinkedIn. Look, when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and super intuitive. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or the resources for hiring. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, I also, Ben and I are discussing our biggest concerns, questions, and, and you know, we're going to tackle the most underrated thing about this team here momentarily in segment three. But we also want to hear from you guys. So whether you're listening, if you're, if you're watching on YouTube, drop your thoughts, your biggest question, biggest concern, and the most underrated thing about this team in the YouTube comments. Now, Ben, uh, for me... And I guess I guess I'm going with my my concern here is uh, I am still a little worried about what it's going to look like when this front office is ultimately tasked with with making some moves towards, I guess, I don't want to say being all in, but just the moves to make this team a, a contender again or a consistent playoff caliber threat again. And I say that because. While we saw them navigate this previous offseason and bring in the names like Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks that have helped elevate this team, the Rockets were also uniquely positioned last offseason to have more money than anybody else to spend. And they had just come off the high of hiring a brand new coach in Ime Odoka, well-liked, well-respected around the league. They had a lot of variables in their favor to kind of make that happen. I know that we've discussed this ad nauseum on this podcast and, and elsewhere 
But I think over the last few years, there's been an underwhelming level of kind of, you know, some of the the moves on the margins and things like that that probably could have been capitalized on during a downtime for the organization, similar to how Sam Presti has capitalized on the downtime that the Thunder had for those handful of years, almost kind of directly coinciding with the downtime the Rockets had during their rebuilding era. Now we're seeing what Sam Presti is able to do. In Oklahoma City, he has more draft capital than the rest of the NBA, and OKC internally has had has experienced a lot of growth and development, and they're playing some incredible basketball without having made some big, splashy, all-in move for a star. There's, their rebuild is like the best-case situation where just internally the growth of their prospects and their guys has really taken them to the next level. Now, at this deadline, they added a Gordon Hayward. It's going to be exciting to see what that looks like in OKC, that, that kind of an addition. But that's kind of where I'm at with with my level of concern is just how does the front office, how will the front office operate moving forward with deals, you know, in the offseason, at the deadline, right? Um, are they able to, are they, will they be able to make the hard decisions on some of the players internally, like the decisions that are going to be upcoming with, with Jalen Green and Alperin and Shingun, right? We've seen this front office kind of have a tendency in the past with guys like Christian Wood, guys like Eric Gordon, maybe holding on to these guys a little bit longer than they probably should have. Um, Jay Sean Tate might be another one that we re- revisit this offseason and say, man, why didn't they trade him for the couple seconds that they could have gotten from the Dallas Mavericks? So I hope that we can see this front office move from a place of being very reactive with a lot of their decision-making, which it kind of feels like has been the case for a long time, into an area where they're a little bit more proactive in finding you know, good deals, creating value that other teams haven't found. And, they, and they've and they done some of those moves in the past. I'm not saying that they haven't ever done it. Um, the David Nwaba deal with OKC, the kind of contract shuffling to generate a second round pick out of that. Um, they had the the deal with the Nets way back when where they with uh, Dumbaya and they, they turned that into a second round pick. So they have had moments of creativity. They have had moments where things have, you know, looked promising. Um, but those moments have been few and far between. So, with the fact that they they have these big looming decisions about Jalen's contract, Shingun's contract, all the expiring deals that they have, kind of this this whole angle where it looks like they are going star hunting, you know, do they do they swing and miss out on the available stars? Who knows? So, I just think that we're at a point where we we don't have a ton of data points on the front office to like inspire a ton of confidence be like oh they know a hundred percent what they're doing am i cautiously optimistic sure but i think that's where my biggest concern lies yeah i think that's largely reasonable and it sort of dovetails with my concern which is that if the internal options don't pan out and we know all season long really ever since getting fred and dylan in the offseason the defense has been largely capable i know it's slipped over the last four to six weeks, but a lot of that coincides with the injuries. When healthy, this is a good defensive team led by Ime Udoka. The question is whether they can be a good offensive team, which they have not been all season long, even when Alperin Shingun was at his best the first two, two and a half months of the season. And so the ideal path, as you were saying with some of these other rebuilds, is if you just develop the contender internally. And whether it's Jam, uh, Jam, whether it's uh, Jalen, Cam, or Men, <laughs> I think I just came up with a new nickname for uh, Jalen Green. Green and, let's go. Yeah. No, the Jalen Green, uh, Cam Whitmore pairing. But yeah, whether it's Jalen, Cam, Amen, Tari, or hopefully multiple options among those guys. The ideal scenario is that you don't have to go outside the organization to fill that role. And you could just find your wing complement to Alper and Shingun internally 
and move forward and just gradually improve as the years progress and as these guys get more experience. But if you aren't able to do it internally, yeah, you need to be able to swing a big deal elsewhere. That's where it goes into, you know, it's not that they can't do deals moving forward, even though they're going to operate above the cap for the foreseeable future. And really, it's not just this offseason, which Rafael Stone confirmed to me at his press conference last week. It's also... When you look at the extensions they're going to have to give out starting, you know, as soon as this summer, more realistically, I think a year from now, this is going to be an above the cap team unless something goes dramatically wrong. So you're going to have to make trades. Do they have the assets to make the trades? Do you trust the people making the decisions? And then another part of it is just, are the Rockets attractive enough with Ime Udoka and Rafael Stone, a, a huge part of any mega trade in the modern NBA is whether the star player that's disgruntled actually wants to be in your organization. So can the Rockets make them attract, make themselves attractive enough to a disgruntled star to make that happen? I think it's absolutely possible. And I have heard good things about how liked Ime Udoka is around the league, but until they actually do it, yeah, it's fair to have some questions, some concerns. And I just think that hopefully the Rockets don't have to go down that path. But now that you're in year three with Jalen and he hasn't yet taken that clear leap, then you do have to at least start to wonder about, you know, sort of the fallback scenarios, which is what a big external move would be if you aren't able to develop it all internally. You mentioned there kind of in in in, in the reply to my to my concern, because, again, I'm trying to keep our keep our heads on straight here to make sure we don't get these mixed up. That was my concern. I've already done my question. Yeah, so technically, I think we are on your biggest question. But earlier okay. in your answer, you re- you very heavily emphasized the offense being a big question. Was that actually your question? Or? No. OK, no. what is your, what is your biggest a, question then? Yeah, I've got a very direct question oh. and it's less for me and it's more for the organization. But what the hell happened with Tari Eason? Because the way his leg situation has been managed is very curious. And let's just be honest, for this season as a whole, the Rockets are 12 and 10 when Tari plays. They're 12 and 20 when he doesn't. His lack of availability for the last six weeks has been the biggest factor, in my opinion, for why this has gone off the rails. He's so important defensively to the second unit, to their culture. And he's also a nice hedge to Jalen Green. We saw when... Uh, Tari was at his best in December. He closed multiple games in Jalen's spot. And as I mentioned earlier, Ime has compared him to a young Kawhi Leonard. Even though we think of Tari as a front court guy, he actually does have some playmaking chops similar to, you know, a young Kawhi, a young Jimmy Butler, one of these jumbo wing types. So he can help you in terms of generating offense as well. When it gets sticky, we've seen him get second chance points. And yet this is a guy who's played less than half of the season. And now he's missed at least six weeks. And my guess is it's after, going to be also, more than po- that. Point being, after being an Iron Man his first year, right? One of only 10 players yeah. to play all 82 games his rookie season. It's yeah. not like this is some weird, like, oh, he's injury prone, whatever kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. He last played on January 1st. So he's missed six weeks now. My guess is it's going to be more than that because they tried to ramp him up to play on that road trip before the All-Star break. And Ime Udoka acknowledged in the last home game when we were there as media members that, when they tried to ramp him back up, the pain came back. And so with it's it being a recurrence... Use, it's because they used the John Wall ramp. They oh, jeez. <laughs> but with it being a recurrence of uh, the same injury, you do have to wonder, when he first suffered it in the preseason and they basically gave him four weeks off, if they had been more conservative then and given him, say, eight weeks off, could he have returned in December and basically had 80% of the year still left to play and well, basically wait, can been... I, can, I, can I even raise you? Is the fact that he was injured, right? It was it was the collision. It was the crash at midcourt against the Pacers. Mm-hmm. And that was the game that Dylan Brooks got ejected for the nut shot on Daniel Tice. 
Yeah. He actually, so that that collision, the one that, that definitely was the one that damaged his leg in the first place, he then came back and started and played more minutes in the second half of that game. Yes, of and that game. The, and then in the following game, he played like, a, it was like eight or nine minutes or something in the following yeah. game against the Pelicans before they sat him because I'm guessing he felt yeah. some discomfort, pain, whatever it was. And they were like, okay, we got to stop. So not yeah. only was he hurt, but then they let him play like another game and a half on that leg and before realizing, oh, maybe we need to sit him for a little bit. Yeah, and before this latest six-week absence, if you recall in December, they listed him as questionable almost every single game. So it yeah. wasn't like they thought he was good to go. They knew there was an issue, and they let him play through it. They constantly referred to it as an issue of pain tolerance. Even when he went out that first week of January, they initially reported it as a day-to-day -day thing, and then it just slowly became obvious that it was much more week-to-week, -week, even month-to-month, -month, and that he had basically had a full-blown recurrence. And I'm not going to say that Ime Udoka is responsible. This is one of those awkward situations. If you recall, like the Astros last year, whenever people wanted more info about the injuries to Jose Altuve and uh, Jordan Alvarez, Dusty Baker would be like, well, just ask the trainer. I don't know. But then the trainer is never available to the media. So it's just this constant loop that never gets answered. And Ime doesn't have all the information. The one thing that Ime did say is that Tari may have lied a little bit about how much pain he was in. But honestly, most players are going to do that, especially when they're young. They're competitors. They are incentivized to get on the court and play through things. So as a medical staff, you have to factor in not just what the player tells you, but the testing results, the x-rays, the MRIs, whatever it may be for the specific injury. And just know in the back of your mind that the player is going to frame things as positively as he can for him to be out on the court. And sometimes you have to save the player from himself. Now, I can't tell you for sure what's happened here because, again, you know, medical situations are private. We don't have all the information. And though we've gotten some updates from Ime Udoka, again, he's not really the decision maker when it comes to the medical side of things. So we don't have all the information. And it's at least possible. Maybe this is just, you know, a freak accident for whatever reason. But when you have the same injury and, and a recurrence of it basically takes him out for longer the second time than whatever happened the first time. It is fair to wonder if, okay, if you had taken this more seriously the first time around, could you have nipped this in the bud and then had him available for 75 to 80% of the season, as opposed to having this linger for basically the entirety of his second season in the NBA and a guy who has been very, very good when he's played. And it's one of those situations, it's not the end of the world, even if he doesn't play again this season. And at this point with the play-in slipping away. We've got to at least be open-minded to the possibility maybe he doesn't come back. We're less than two months from the end of the season. So not saying I've heard that, but at least you have to have that in the back of your mind. And while one incident in a vacuum should not be viewed as some huge referendum on the Rockets medical staff, at the same time, if it continues to happen again with other members of the core six and you know you have all these young prospects that we've that we've been talking about throughout this show, could it be a concern? Yeah. And when we talk about external pursuits around the league, which is what you were referring to a few minutes ago, look, you can look at Kawhi Leonard in San Antonio. That's a perfect example of a situation where the player did not trust the organization to responsibly handle his medical situation. It was a big part of why he asked out. Things can spiral to that level to where players around the league just don't trust the organization enough to look out for them. An example on the other extreme, if you think back to like the end of the Steve Nash era in Phoenix, you had veteran after veteran going to the Suns because they were well regarded for keeping their players healthy and fresh and the things they were doing on the medical side. So I'm not saying we're anywhere near that situation based on one incident with Tari Eason, but I 
just hope that internally, even if we don't get the answers externally, because we're not owed an explanation and Ime is not really the guy to fully give it anyway, because I don't think he's made these final decisions. At the same time, at least internally, I hope they have some answers for why this went down the way it did, simply so that they can learn from it and so it doesn't happen again in the future, because there are going to be injuries. This stuff happens in the NBA, but I just think that even if we don't ever fully learn on the outside what happened internally, hopefully they have a good handle on it so that, you know, if it happens again in the future with somebody else, they have a much more linear response to it. That was a good sleeper pick. That one came out of nowhere, Ben. Kudos, because um, I agree that that has been one of the bigger question marks as to this season and kind of what's transpired. So I, I like that one a lot coming up. We've got our most underrated thing about this Houston Rockets team. We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything that you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and so much more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're Running rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. All right, Ben, we've had a little bit of back and forth action here. So now it's coming back your way. So start us off with the most underrated thing about this Houston Rockets team. To me, it's how close they actually are, because even with everything that's gone wrong the last four to six weeks, they're still tracking to finish mid to high 30s and wins for this season. And that's with all of these perimeter options that we've been talking about, none of them taking the leap internally. That's how high the floor is now that you've got some quality veterans and Alperin Shingun has taken the leap as far as your big men. So you're really not that far away from getting to a relatively high level in the Western Conference and being not just potentially a play-in team, but a playoff team. I think back a couple of years ago to the Minnesota Timberwolves when you know it was Anthony Edwards' rookie season, 2020 to 2021. They were the worst team in the league, even worse than the Rockets for most of that year. But at the very end, that's when Anthony Edwards seemed to find it. And so they sort of climbed up a few rungs. Uh, I think they were like third or fourth worst. And then the next year, this was before Rudy Gobert, they took a huge leap to 46 and 36, got to the playoffs. And Anthony Edwards, while good, he wasn't the Anthony Edwards that he is now. I went back and looked at his second season. He basically averaged 22 points, five rebounds, four assists per game, true shooting percentage of uh, like 56, uh, shot below 36% from three. He was very good, but it's not like he was great. So the bar for the Rockets, now that you have a competent all-star level big man like Alperin Shingun, who, you know, for comparing the Rockets now to the Timberwolves a couple of years ago, I guess you can say, you know, Shingun is sort of like a Houston version of Carl Anthony Towns. Now, Shingun better as a playmaker, uh, Towns better as a three-point shooter. But in terms of the overall impact, I, I think you can sort of see some similarities there. 
and with Minnesota, when they took the leap was when Anthony Edwards not even got to a star level, just got to a very good level. And that was enough between having the trustworthy big man inside and then a lot of proven veterans, guys like Pat Beverly, D'Angelo Russell, uh, Jared Vanderbilt that you could trust on those wings slash guard roles, then that's when the Timberwolves sort of took the leap to becoming not just a solid team, but a very good team, mid to upper 40s in the West. And so the Rockets, even with all these flaws and the maddening inconsistency, this is not a terrible basketball team by any stretch. This is, assuming they don't just completely fall apart, going to be a season that they finish with a respectable record, even with all these things going wrong. So when we talk about, you know, going back to my concern or and your question about, you know, can you develop the wing option internally? The bar is not super high. Like we're not asking Jalen Green or Amen Thompson or Cam Whitmore to become the current version of Anthony Edwards or Devin Booker or SGA. Even if one of those guys just turns in to you know, a very good player next season on a somewhat consistent basis. That's all this team needs, assuming health, because we know what the defense is when this team is healthy and has all the pieces, and we know what Alperen Shingun can do. The bar is not super high. That's why this season is so frustrating, is that the Rockets, you know, even though they've taken a leap forward relative to their own performance the last few years, they're so close to being better. They're so close. And that's what I think outside, you know, people are going to look at this team and say, yeah, you know, they took a step forward, but, you know, there's still a ways to go. Not really. I mean, you've got a lot of high upside guys internally as is. You know, the Rockets have taken some big swings, the bites at the apple, as you put it earlier. If even one of these guys can take not even a leap to superstardom, just a leap to consistently very goodville, let's call it, then that in and of itself could be enough to make you a play-in or even a playoff team as soon as next season. So as frustrating as it's been, to me, I don't think people externally realize just how close the Rockets potentially are. They have a lot of pieces and they've addressed the floor. They've got the veterans to surround a young core with. If any of these perimeter guys develops to complement Alper and Shingun, this thing can come together a lot more quickly than I think people on the outside um, give it credit for. I just want you to know that I am putting consistently very goodville as a drop on the soundboard as soon as we are done with this episode because that is now going to be like like the moment somebody has like an okay-ish game, I'm gonna be like consistently very goodville. Like there we go. Um and, you know, this, this is the one where I, th- I think your concern, my question, had a little bit of overlap earlier. Uh, I'm actually I, – I, I wrote down specifically here – my my underrated thing was that this team is still on schedule despite all the adversity that they've faced this season with obviously missing Tari for more than half the season, the injuries to Dylan Brooks, then missing Jabari, now missing Fred. I think that you have to still be incredibly encouraged and optimistic about where this team is headed based on what we did see when this team was healthy. So this overlaps a lot with a lot of the points that you've already made about this team. But the big one there was... You know, we know what this team was earlier on when they were healthy. And when they were healthy, this team was a number one defense in the NBA, a top three defense at minimum with with all the right pieces around Alper and Shingo. So I think that kind of addressed, OK, can can Alpi actually be a, you know, a good defensive big on a good defensive team? And he absolutely could. Right. They were they were one of the best defenses in the NBA for the first couple months of the season before those injuries started to really take their toll. So. I think that the early season success, and this was also a part part of your answer in there, that early season success, I think almost in a way skewed the perception of this team to where 
Rockets fans themselves, and I know I struggled with this. I don't know if you did, but just that early success kind of led to, oh, how good can this team be this year, right? And then when the team started to kind of come crashing back down a little bit and come back down to that to where they are right now, I still think they're on schedule right now is the crazy thing. It's just we got our hopes up based on how good the team had looked early on. And so I do, I fully agree with you there that, you know, maybe they don't necessarily need one of the the other core six where we've seen LP right take these steps and he's playing like an all-star at this point. So he's taken that that leap. We still don't know how much more he has left, right? How much better can LP be than his current version of his uh, of himself? Um but if you even have one of the other core six turn into like you said consistently very goodville or again, you know, take start to take that leap in a similar vein to Alper and Shingun, having two all-star level kind of building blocks is a great place to be organizationally because just having the structure that they have now with the additional veteran support of Fred, Dylan, Jeff, those guys, plus the internal growth from the young guys has this team on trajectory to, you know, again, it looks like they're probably going to miss the play in this year. But if you were to, if you were to change even a couple of the variables, I think the biggest one, the Tari Eason situation, if just Tari was healthy for this team this year, I think they're easily like four to five, maybe six wins better than they currently are right now. And then they're firmly in the play-in discussion for one of those seven to 10 seeds instead of being on the outside looking in. And I think that's a huge difference maker. So I'm glad you brought up that point there. Um, But yeah, they're just, they're on schedule. They're a lot closer. I agree with you, Ben. They're a lot closer than I think people think that they are um, versus, you know, a team like the Brooklyn Nets, who wants to try and pair a superstar with Mikhail Bridges as their their path to contention, their path, their rebuilding path forward, which is all kinds of ridiculous. And that's actually a perfect name to reference in this context, because a lot of people have been wondering, why would you consider including Jalen Green in a package for Mikhail Bridges? And there are pros and cons, but it gets back into the same dynamic, which is that you do not actually have to have a superstar for this to be a consistent playoff team. They are closer than you think. And that's what I think it's lost in the discourse. When we talk about developing these young players, I think sometimes people around the league think that Rockets fans are expecting or wanting Jalen or Amen or Cam to turn into what Devin Booker or SGA or Anthony Edwards are now. And that's not really the case. That's why I mentioned year two Anthony Edwards, who was a very good player, consistently very good, Bill, if you want, but certainly not an upper echelon star, at least not at that point. And that's where there is some temptation to the Mikhail Bridges path. And I can understand the organization's interest in him because it's not like this team is so far away that they just need that transcendent superstar to get them to the next tier. No, even just a very good player, be it one of your young guys developing into that internally or acquiring one from outside the organization, that's all it really takes when you when you combine that with what Alper and Shingun is doing with these veteran role players like Brad and Dylan and some of you know your high floor guys amongst the prospects, guys like Jabari and Tari, this team is not that far away. And so that does sort of explain some of the Bridges' interest. It's not so much that the Rockets view Mikhail Bridges as a superstar. No, he's not. But the point is they don't need a true superstar to actually take that next step. Now, maybe they eventually need a superstar, be it you know, acquiring one externally or someone internally developing into one to actually become a legitimate title contender and win a championship a few years from now, maybe. But in terms of getting to that next step that a lot of people were optimistic that maybe they'd already done earlier this season, which is get into the play and even the playoff mix and be a consistent winning team in the Western Conference. 
you don't really need a true superstar to get there. This team is not that far away. So be it internal development or an external move, I don't think people around the league appreciate just how close they are. And that's actually a good reason why they would consider a move such as Mikhail Bridges. And it's, so it's one of the points that you were making earlier, right, is as the Rockets are progressing, as they're you know, navigating this rebuilding trajectory, being an attractive destination, right? If you if you build yourself into a team that is, you know, quote unquote, one piece away from true contention, then you suddenly become an attractive destination externally yes. for other star players who are maybe looking at the rocket situation. Bingo. Maybe you're maybe you're floating around like that four to six seed range, and there's a player, and they're like, you know what? If I got traded to that team or if I signed with that team, I'm the piece that takes them from being, you know, the, you know, steady playoff appearance, you know, first, second round exit, whatever. I'm the piece that takes them to yes. legit finals bound or, or you know, championship. Con- like, I, I open their championship contention window. And that's the position you want to be in. It's not... It's not boom or bust. It's not, oh, you've got to build a contender with the pieces you have right now. And if you're going to trade a guy like Jalen Green, oh, it's got to be for a superstar. No. Right now, Mikhail Bridges is... A, a much better player than Jalen Green. There's no way you can argue that any other, like he's a much better player than Jalen Green right now and would elevate the Rockets quite a bit right now. Now, was it the right time to do the trade? Obviously not. Or maybe the Nets are so hell-bent on building around Mikael Bridges. that It didn't happen. And so now we see how these two teams are going to navigate the situation. But that was the, the entire argument, is if you can take those those steps incremental, toward, steps. Incre- incremental steps towards relevancy, towards getting back to being a competitive team, then you take those steps, right? And again, that's why the Rockets have a front office and a lot of guys who are smarter than me, you're supposed to be smarter than me running the show to figure out, okay, when do we, you know, how do we evaluate these guys, right? When do we cash out on a young prospect? When do we make the move? When do we start consolidating assets? How do how many moves at the margins do we need to make to be able to have these, you know, ex- extra assets to make for a big trade further down the line? All these little things, all these little things that kind of all kind of, uh, packaged together yeah. that we've talked about on this show are all very relevant ideas and concepts to have to consider when, when thinking about this team. But we want your thoughts. I asked for them earlier, but let us know in the YouTube comments your biggest concern, your biggest question, most underrated thing about this Rockets team. Let us know your thoughts about everything we discussed on today's episode. Ben, you know the drill. Let everybody know where to track you down at. Yep, uh, Ben Dubose on Twitter, the Rockets Wire and Logger Line on Twitter slash X and RocketsWire.USAToday.com for all your daily Houston Rockets news coverage. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.